turn in with me <clears throat> turn with me in your bibles to psalms 95 chapter 95 work through this whole chapter this morning i think there's some great wisdom for us uh, this day found in david's words here psalms chapter 95. Let's remember that this is the word of God. Let's take heed how we hear it. Verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. And the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. In his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Well, when you consider worship today, what comes to mind? Do you see all of Sunday morning from Sunday school to the conclusion of the sermon as a time of worship? Or oftentimes we hear worship related just to the musical portion Do you think of worship being in a small church such as ours? Or do you think of some of those churches that hold thousands of people? Do you think of maybe the difference in technologies? Do you have a preference maybe to sing out of a hymnal? Or do you maybe prefer the more big screens with the words and the different lights and different things? Some churches are small, like I said, like ours, and others have the ability to broadcast their sermons all across the world. And while it's important the way we worship and how we worship, that's not what I want to focus on right now. The focus for today is the reason we worship. Why do we worship? And I think David gives, gives us some, some really great wisdom here in this chapter. He answers a lot of questions that we have, such as, is it important that we come together and worship? I mean, can I, can I not just go worship by myself? There's many of us who like the outdoors. I'm one of them. And I often hear some of my friends say, well, I can worship God in a deer stand or on the golf course or in a bass boat or wherever. Is, is that, can I, can I do that? And there's some of us that 
necessarily don't like being around a bunch of people. Can I just worship God at, on, at my house? Is reading the Bible and praying and taking the time on my own, is, is that good enough? Well, that will go and we'll touch a little bit that, and that does touch the way we worship. But I think it's involved more with the reason we worship. And this is, this is our focus for today, and I want to see, as we go through Psalms 95 here, three things. In fact, the, the first point and the last point almost serve as, as stage lights that point to the second point, which is the main point. But I want us to see that, that there is a call to worship. I want us to see the reason for worship. And then I want us to see the warning of worship. The call to worship, the reason to worship, and the warning of worship. Look with me, please, in verses 1 and 2. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with the thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You see, there is a call, a call to come and worship. This is, this is why we, we, we have this in our liturgy. If you look through our bulletin, you'll see it's very structured. And it's not because we just came together as elders and said, well, this is what the Presbyterians do. No, there's a specific reason. God desires his people, his family, to come and worship him. And he calls us to do that. And then we answer with a psalm of praise. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. He's loved us. He's brought us to him. We get to respond to God. Right? So each part of our bulletin, of our liturgy, is there for a reason. God talks to us. We speak back. God talks to us. We speak back. And that's why. So we see that there is a call to worship. And in fact, the call to worship came from this chapter. And we'll talk about those verses here in a minute. But God calls us and we respond. I want us to, to note in the verse, two verses here that there is a lack of singular pronouns. David does not say, Oh, let me sing to the Lord. Let me make a joyful noise. Let me come into his presence. Let me make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. No, he says, let's us, us, let us come. Who's us? God's covenant people. His family. His people. He wants us to come together. And so while it is important for your personal time of worship, and that is a legitimate thing, we are called to spend time in the word and prayer when it comes time for corporate worship, David removes any thought of there being lone rangers. While we should praise the Lord as we cast from the front of the boat, or we sit in the trees, there is a time where God calls us together, and he wants us to come together and worship as a family, as a community we need this. We need to be encouraged by one another. We need to be strengthened by one another. We need to hear one another sing. It's awesome to be able to stand here and hear everybody sing. 
One of the, the great things I hear from this side, I hear this side, but to stand up here, to hear everybody sing, our voices um, sound great, and that's what God wants. And it's an encouragement to me as I read these things, and I, and I hear, you know, I, I'm struggling with life. I, things are going on in my life, and, and, and I know I'm supposed to, to give God the glory, and then I hear 60 people sing that. That's an encouragement. <laughs> We need to be able to come together and, and, and know what each other needs prayer for. Tuesday is huge this week. And it's a time where we all should be praying for one another. And not just if something big is on the horizon, but just encouragement. Because as I mentioned in our prayer before, when we step out of these doors, we go off into a, a dark world. And so often it feels like you're fighting, and you're fighting, and you're fighting, and you're fighting. And yet you can come here and you can go... You can take a break because you have one another. You can be strengthened. You can be recharged, be energized. We need to come together to worship. I want us to also know that there is a certain attitude that we are to have when we come to worship God. We see that here in these two verses. Thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise. So we should be joyful and we should be thankful. Can you join with David in this call? As David calls those around him to come and worship, is that what your heart's desire is? Is Sunday your favorite day of the week? And from the hours that you're here. Or does this time sort of seem to be a, a dreadful time? You don't really look forward to coming. Perhaps you're more concerned with other things. Maybe the ball game. Maybe what your other friends are doing and what you could be doing. Are you excited to come together with believers? Or does this time seem more of an inconvenience? I mentioned that we're supposed to come with thanksgiving and joyfulness. And I'm also, I also understand the frustrations and understand the realities of what Sunday morning brings with a family. And even if not a family. I will, I will, I will come right out here and say that I also understand that there is times where there's we are providentially hindered from coming to to service. I understand that things go on, things go on, and like I said, I also understand those frustrations. I was talking with someone last Sunday night. I said Sunday mornings are always the craziest time of the week, aren't they? Yep. And we we've seen so many different examples, right? I I mean. There's so many different stories, and it's kind of a generic, but it, it passes everything, or it kind of applies to every family. The alarm that you set doesn't go off on Sunday morning. You wake up, it's late. You're an awesome coffee drinker. You never spill coffee on yourself except Sunday mornings, and now you have to go press your, you know, a new shirt. Um, the, the, the kid, uh, the baby, you know, is, hasn't slept all night, needs to be fed, 
um, dirty diapers. The older kids um, decide that they're going to make a mess of everything. The, the breakfast casserole got burned, and now it's not there. The lunch that's supposed to be thrown in the crock pot's not going to make it. And, and you're, we're supposed to come and be joyful and thankful? <sighs> right? It's not all smiles when we're driving here. You get in the car, and you're, you're driving 10 miles over the speed limit to get here. And most of the time, the husband has his right hand on the wheel, his hand on the door, head resting on that. The wife's arms crossed, and the kids in the back are just grumpy. I understand it. It happens. It happens, right? So, you know, the, it, it happens. But, so how, how can we come to service being thankful and joyful? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, here, here's a few things that, that might be able to help. First, thank God for the many blessings that he's given to us. I learned of a song when I was very young called Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. And that right there transformed the way you think. Instead of driving and looking in the rearview mirror and seeing a back seat full of grumpy kids, thank the Lord that your back seat is full. Because one day it's going to be empty. Thank God that he opened your kids' eyes, the eyes of your spouse, your eyes. Thank God that he gave you coffee to have, even though some of it's on your shirt. Thank God that he's forgiving you multiple outfits so that you can go iron a new shirt real quick, right? And as we start to be thankful and we realize all the blessings that God gives us, what does that create in us? It fosters a sense of joy. So we can come here and, and, and we go, yeah, it wasn't that great of a morning, but I'm here and it's great to see you and I can't wait to hear you sing and I can't wait to pray with everybody and listen to God's word and worship him. Another thing that I'm sure uh, you all do, it's really been a help for us, is we try to eliminate distractions. We know those things that will tend to pop up, right? Um, Sunday or Saturday afternoons uh, and evenings uh, for us, and I'm sure for many of you have turned into kind of Sunday preps. So try to get all the ironing out, you know, uh, maybe, you know, think about breakfast, maybe do something simple so it's easy to get up and we don't have to worry about um, burning a casserole in the oven. Maybe we have cereal or nutritious Pop-Tarts. Um, try to make it simplified. Um, and, 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 and all of that to say is, is our, are we setting ourselves up to come to worship? And when those times hit, do we tend to kind of try to use those situations that just happen as providential hindrance? Or do we try to fight past those and get to service? Parents, your kids see everything you do. Think about the morning when you get up on that Sunday morning and everything's falling apart. Do they see parents who 
get frustrated and just shut down and say, that's it, we're staying home. Or they see parents and say, I, I don't care if there's burnt casserole in the dish. I don't care if the, the stuff that's supposed to go in the crock pot for the chili is left out. I don't care about that. We're, we're getting to church. Our house is normally clean, but guess what? It's not right now. We're getting to church. Dad, you have coffee on your shirt. I know. Let's go. Right? What, what are you showing your kids? Coming here, that worshiping God is important. And many of you saw that with your own folks growing up. And, and so I say all that to say, are we committed to the worship of God? Are those obstacles in our day? Or those things that are going to prevent us from coming to worship? Or are we going to fight through them and get to worship? And once again, I understand, brothers and sisters, there is times where we are providentially hindered. There's times where we've, we've, my kids have been sick and we've had to go to the hospital, right? There's, we have people that are first responders and work jobs that require you to work on Sundays, and I, I understand that. But are we committed to focusing our worship and or to being here at worship? So we see that there's a call to worship. And now this spotlight Cast its light onto our main point, the reason, the reason we come to worship. Look with me at verse 3. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The reason we come to worship is because of God. That's the reason. We come. And David gives us several, several examples and reasons and, and kind of takes that spotlight and shines it a little bit. Just enough for us to kind of start to see other things about God that, that, that magnify who he is. David says he is keen above all gods. He he is king. He rules over everything. There's no president that's more powerful than him. There's no king that's more powerful than him. No earthly authority combined. Hey, allies, whatever. None of that. That Nothing is more powerful than God. If all the leaders from all over the world came together, let's say there was a, a problem or whatever the case may be, and you were, in, uh, you were a specialist in some sort of field and they called for you to come, to help them out with this problem. More than likely you would say, yeah, of, of course. And you're going to go, why? Because they're the kings and queens and all the rulers of all the world, right? And, there's, and even if you decided not to, there's pretty much no place you can go because everyone's going to be looking for you. You can't go to Canada or Mexico or wherever because they're going to be looking for you, right? And then you're going to have to answer to all the rulers, all the leaders of the world, why you didn't show up, Right? But God says, can you come worship with me on Sundays? And we go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. God calls us because he wants to be worshipped. This might seem arrogant to you. Why does God want us to worship him? Because he's God and he deserves our worship. That's why we come to worship him. He deserves that. In fact, 
He gives us six other days to do and take care of the things that we need to. And then he gives us a few hours on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings to come together to worship him, to join our hearts and spirits, to proclaim his majesty, to proclaim his glory. Perhaps you think, well, maybe my worship doesn't matter. It does. Each one of your voices has an impact. Don't think for one minute that your prayers are not important, that they have no effect. Don't think any of that. Your worship is important. Especially with a church our size, we know, we feel it when people aren't here. We long for that that wholeness of us of us being together again. Not only is God keen above all other gods, or not only is he keen, he's above all other gods. And he's proven this over and over throughout all of Scripture. The Egyptians thought Pharaoh to be a god. And what does God do? Attacks every single one of their gods and makes Pharaoh look like a complete idiot. Why? Because he is above all gods. Think about the prophets of Baal. One man, Elijah, 400 false prophets, showdown. I don't think we've ever had one to four hundred odds at any time in our spiritual life. But these prophets of Baal come together and they say, oh no, Baal's the true God. And they do all these rituals, they do all these different things, all of this to to show that their God is good. And what happens? Elijah prays, one person, pray, and fire from heaven comes down and crushes the altar and burns everything, showing that God is more powerful than Baal. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was a god, and God put him out to pasture. And what about, or you might say, well, oh, well, those are all men, those are all people. Well, what about Satan? God's already beat him too. There'll come a day when Satan and all of his followers will face their final judgment. He is a God above all gods. But yet so often we, we tend to make these gods and make these little idols that, that become more important. It can be very obvious when the thing is standing in front of our face, like a king. But what about other things, like the God of comfort or the God of I don't feel like it. <laughs> Let me tell you this. There's no God or idol that you make that is worth worshiping more than God. No idol, no false God that you make is worth worshiping more than God. While worshiping God because of who he is should be enough, David gives us a few more reasons Look with me here in verse 4 and 5. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. 
The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry lands. He is above all things. God exists outside of space and time. He's not bound or constrained by the things that we are. His power is not limited based on the temperature outside or where the certain planets are lining up. God caused all those things to be. There is nothing, no one, no how, nothing that can challenge God. That could be more powerful than him. God is also steadfast. It says that he created, or that the mountains are his. And it reminds us of verse 1, the rock of our salvation. And the Jewish people believed that the mountains were a sign of steadfastness, of strength. And thank God that he is. And praise God that he is unchanging. Think for a moment if all of a sudden God changed his mind on salvation. He didn't. And he doesn't. And I thank God that we can look in his word and we can see that from the beginning of time all the way to the end of the time that his standards are true, that his decrees remain the same. And that we continue to look and we see faith, uh, faithless people and God still being faithful and we can look in our life and think that there's hope for us and know that there's hope for us. And know that he loves us and knows that he cares for us. Why? Because of verse 1, which is another reason why God deserves our worship. He is the rock of our salvation. Salvation. He's God. He's powerful. He's above all. And he's given you salvation. Those all should be great reasons. This man-centered theology that has swept America and the Western world that's spreading everywhere for the last 100 years tries to, to, to narrow the gap between where God is and man is. Let me tell you something. Your salvation was not because you made a good decision. It's not because you prayed a little prayer or walked down to an altar. Those could have been parts of it, but that's not what saves you. you do you know what saves you? It's God the Father standing before the foundations of the world, before time. And he said, that person is mine. And Jesus the Son says, I will go and die on the cross and take that wrath for him. And the Holy Spirit says, and after that's done, I will go to that person. And I will, I will regenerate their heart. And I will open their eyes to see the glory of your salvation. How can we not want to worship a God like that? God causes all things to exist. Like I said, he's, he's the, the creator. He's the, uh, the sustainer. All of this he has created. And as much as I love walking through the woods or hiking or camping or whatever it is, I know that it's very easy for me to worship the created other than the creator at those times. And while I love seeing the sunrise, feeling the cool breeze, 
I have to remember that there is one outside of that who asked me to come and worship. And he's owned that. I should do that. I praise God that he's given us the opportunity to do so. All right, let's work, let's work through verse 6 real quick. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I want us to notice a few things. I want us to notice the imperative. Because he is our God, we worship. God says, or David says, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. God has made us. He has sustained us. We do nothing on our own. And David commands us to come and worship. It's the same in verse 1 and 2, if you didn't see the exclamation mark. You see, these aren't, this isn't the sort of same excitement as maybe waking a child up. Hey, it's time for church. Or, hey, it's time to get up. No. David's saying, come, look, it's God. We get to go worship him. He's excited. He's joyful. Why? Because of all these scenes we just talked about. He's saying, come, let's go. It's time to worship God. This is the best day of the week. Let's go. So notice the imperative. Notice the excitement. Notice also the posture. We don't come to worship arrogantly. We come humbly. We, we, we often see so many um, people, and I, I hear this all the time, and it's really frustrating. I hear people say, well, I, I, I stopped going to that church, or I don't really go to this church, or I, I stopped up here because... I just wasn't getting anything out of it. Let me explain something to you. Worship is not about you. It's about God. As Neil C. Stewart said in the movie Spirit and Truth, the consumer of worship is not man. It's God. Yes, are there benefits from that? Yes, the preaching of his word and the worship of God is part of the means of grace that he gives to us. And so though we may feel discouraged by sin, we have hope and strength because he's the rock of our salvation. And we can walk out of these doors feeling joyful and thankful and encouraged and strengthened for the week ahead. There's there's so much... To this that we don't have time to, to get into. Worship and church is not a bunch of TED Talks that are supposed to make you feel good about yourself. It's not about how many different octaves and all the different chords we can smash on different instruments. It's not about the lights or the smoke. It's about worshiping God. And like I said, I'm not going to knock or, or say that those things cannot be used in the proper way to worship God. 
But, but what I'm saying is, when you walk through these doors, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. We don't come arrogantly. We come humbly. Look at the posture that David has. Now let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. We come humbly. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Well, let's practice why we can, right? Let's come before God, humble and reverent. And as you start to be thankful and you start to praise God for all these things that he's given you, and you start to think about how great he is, how he's outside of everything, and you come before his presence, there is not much to say because you understand who he is and who we are. Praise God that he is merciful and gracious to us. I said, um, you know, we noticed that, we noticed the, the imperative, we noticed the posture, we noticed the reminder that he's our maker. We don't do anything our own at all. In fact, if I was to ask for your phones or, or whatever, your alarm clocks, I'm pretty sure that if I looked last night, there would not be an alarm set for every 15 seconds so that you would wake up and remind yourself to breathe. I'm pretty sure as you set the alarm to go to bed, you did not tell yourself, brain, when you hear the beautiful music or you hear the annoying wah, wah, wah of the alarm clock, you're going to cause the eyes to open, you're going to continue breathing, and you're going to get up. No. In fact, when you closed your eyes last night, you had no idea, no knowing that you would be wake up this morning. We can't even live on our own. We can't save ourselves. God holds us in his hand. We need to be in his hand. My kids catch lizards and frogs all the time around the house, and you see them when they grab them. What do they want to do? The frogs want to squirm away and get out, right? But God's hands is not a hand that squeezes, not a hand that says, no, I'm keeping you from all the fun in the world. No, he's saying, I'm protecting you, and I'm caring for you. Why would we ever want to be out of that? He's our sustainer and our provider. We talked about this. This is one of those things that, that we can be thankful for. If I was to ask you what's your favorite candy or soda or pop, where I call it where I came from, or treat, dinner, whatever. If I was to ask you when the last time you had that particular item, would you tell me a couple years ago? Maybe this year? Last month? Probably within the last couple of days, right? Was it something you needed? No, probably not. Is God gracious in giving you something to enjoy? Yes. Thank you, God, that you've given me food to have to feed my family. Not only are you my daily bread, you've given me daily bread. And not only is it the daily bread that feeds my family, it's the type of meals that we like. 
I don't have to feed my kids rice and beans. Right? Why? Because God gives us more than what we need. These are all things that we can be thankful for. I start to see the same cars out here week after week after week. Do you know what that tells me? That God's given us reliable transportation. We don't have to walk. Two or three hundred years ago, many people had to walk to church, and the time it spent to walk to church was longer than the service was. We can thank God that he's given us the different clothes to wear. So when we spill coffee on it, we have another clothes to wear. We know that he cares for us, and David eliminates that a little bit more in verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He is our God. And while he is God, he is not everybody's God. But he's ours. And just like a shepherd tends to his sheep, he cares for them. And we, we've heard these scenes throughout all of Scripture, these different examples of a shepherd caring for his flock, right? If one goes away, what happens? The shepherd goes and looks for him. It's amazing to me that, that farmers or shepherds know each of their animals. Where I grew up, there might be several hundred, even thousands of different heads of different types of animals. And those farmers know each of those animals. And that's the same way with us. We have a good shepherd who knows you. He knows, he knows that you tend to, to get little stickers in your hoof. And so he comes over and he takes them out. He knows that you are prone to wander. And so he's careful to grab you with his staff. He knows you and he cares for you and he loves you. Why, if we have a God like this, do we not want to worship? Why does not everybody want to worship him? It's really amazing to me that sometimes people, not sometimes, actually most of the time, know more about celebrities than they do about the one who holds their eternal security in their hands. There's people that can quote stats from from any particular sport, from any particular thing. They know when their, their celebrity was married, who they married, what the person's maiden name was, how old they were, all these different things, what their favorite food is. They know where they grew up. They know all these things. And if that person was to call and say, hey, I have a show or a concert or a sports game, Here's some tickets, but I just need you to fly halfway across the world for it. I'll pay for everything. What would happen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going right now. Boop, bag's packed, gone, right? They can't save your soul. They can't do anything other than be really good probably at that one thing that they're really good at. Yet the one who is good at everything and perfect at everything calls us to come visit him, to worship him. And we say, I don't feel like it. Or I don't know. Or it doesn't matter. It does. It does. It is all about God. 
That is the main reason we come to worship. Because he's God. We've seen the call to worship. And we've seen the main reason. Now let's light the other little spotlight that supports the main one. Let's look at the warning. The warning. Look with me in verses 7, the end of 7 to verse 9. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Brothers and sisters, this reference is not to just anybody. This is to God's people. And this reference um, to Mirabah and Massa is, is, is a um, glance in the past to when the Israelites were walking through um, the desert. They get to a point and they're, the streams that they're supposed to get water from for themselves and their flocks are all dried up. And we've, we know the story. And they come to um, Moses in Exodus 17, and they begin to grumble. And they begin to whine. Did you bring us out here to die? Blah, blah, blah. And what are they doing? They're testing Moses, but in a sense, they're grumbling against God. They had seen God's work. These are the same people that saw a river turn to blood. Thousands and millions and however many frogs there were. They'd experienced the Passover. They'd seen a sea part, dry ground, walk across, enemy army. They'd seen that. And yet they get to a spot where there's no water coming out of a rock or coming down the creek, and they go, oh, we're going to die. Their hearts are far from God. There was, I'm sure there were some there that were like, no, 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 do you not remember this? And that's what we should be doing. Do you remember what God doing this in our life and working in our life? But for the ones that are talking about, that David is talking about, their hearts were hardened. And all they cared about was the God of comfort. They had seen God work. They knew it. Have you not seen God's work and providence in your own life? You think about, I mean, just the, the times that we were born, the places we lived. There's not many of us that grew up a few miles from this church. Most all of us grew up a ways away. And you think about all the different experiences that we've had in life. Some people have traveled all over the world. Some people have had different careers that have taken them to different places, wherever, and all of a sudden, we're right back here. Think about your own family, your, your, your own life. There is no doubt as I look back and I see some of the situations that I've been in before, that removes any doubt that there is, that there is a God. What it has solidified is that God has carried me through times, strengthened me through times, given me the grace when I didn't think I could bear it. No. He's there. And you can see that in your life. There's no random points in life. Everything has been ordained by God. 
you make decisions and you you do these things, you whatever, but none of that surprises God. He guides you and he looks or he cares for you. He watches over you. And yet what happens or what is so easy? What is the easy thing for us to do? We tend to grumble and rebel against God. They rebelled against the Lord and his instructions. The Israelites did. God's people did. And that's a scary thing. Because who are we? God's people. And if this is being addressed to God's people and saying that they rebelled, it's a rebellion in our hearts today. What was the result of rebellion? What's the result of not worshiping God or remembering who he is or obeying his commands? Look with me in verses 10 and 11. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Notice where they went astray first. Their hearts. There's many songs, many lyrics, many different things that say, listen to your heart. I would submit to you that that is probably one of the foolish things. Because the heart is deceitful above all else. No one can discern its ways. Our hearts are naturally set set apart from God. They don't want to follow God's commands. They don't want to come to worship thankful and joyful. They want to do what they want to do. They want to worship The God of, I don't feel like that. And then his little buddy, the God of, I want to do whatever I want to do. Right? These people wandered the desert for 40 years and they incurred God's wrath and were not able to enjoy the perfect rest that God had for them. We all know that the promised land is a type and foreshadow of God's promised land. The land that we will go to one day. And there's going to be a people who go with God, and there's going to be people who don't go with God. There's going to be the people who enjoy God's mercy. There's going to be people who endure God's wrath. The doors will be closed. There will be no second attempts. If it was the story of Noah... The door will be closed, the rain will start coming, and no amount of beating on that door is going to open it. We've seen the call to worship. We've seen the reason we are to worship. We see the warning for not worshiping God. Maybe you're sitting here and you can say, this is one of my favorite psalms. I love it. And my whole life, I, I, I just believed this and I felt this. And, it, and I probably could have written this thing. You love God. You love being with his people. You, you love being around them. I would tell you, praise God. Then I would also tell you, do you remember the gospel? That the only reason that you were able to do this is because of that. 
because God has forgiven you, because he changed that evil heart that is sent to worshiping and following everything against him? No, he's given you a desire. But I can also assure you that more than likely, you, just like me, have not always worshiped God in the way that he wants. We've not always come joyful. We have not always come focused on him. Thank God for the gospel. Maybe you're sitting here today and you said, you know what, I've kind of grown up in church or I've, you know, kind of know about this, but I just, I don't know. You haven't been very convincing with any of your arguments. I don't feel like my worship is that important and I feel like God, who just knows everything and knows everything about me, I can tend to worship them however I want. And I would say be very careful with that. Remember the warning. God is God and has is a precise God, is a detailed God, and he's giving us ways and methods and ways to worship him. We don't get to dictate how we worship God. He gets to because he's God. Maybe you're sitting there and you said, I know I need to worship God the way he wants to. I know I need to to give him the glory that, that he deserves. I know that I need to, to bring him the praise. I need to be more joyful. I need to be more thankful. In all of these different situations, it matters not what. Remember this. The gospel. If you're sitting here and you said, I used to worship God and now I don't. All this stuff is baloney. Repent and believe. If you've been walking with Christ your whole life, praise God. Repent and believe. Don't forget this warning. Don't think that God is a God of empty words. Because there's coming a time and it's coming quickly quickly, when we are going to see that every single thing that God says in here is true. Let us look at the way we approach worship today. Let's resolve as a body to worship God, to keep our focus on Him, to glorify Him forever. Let's pray. God, you are a great God, worthy of all of our praise. We thank you, God, for your word. Lord, you have a place where we can come and we can not have to guess about what you desire, not have to contemplate what you might approve of or what you disapprove of. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We thank you for your steadfastness, though we might be as broken reeds in the wind. How caring you are for us. How you mend us, watch over us, protect us. We thank you, God, for all that you do for each and every one of us. We love you and we ask this in your son's name. Amen.